Skyscraper. Chicking. Recycling. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story today is world news. This is from theguardian.com. The headline is China skyscraper wobble due to winds, rail lines, and warmer weather, according to reports. Did you... What? Did you see... (laughs) Okay, so just in a nutshell, a very large skyscraper in China, like a few days ago, started actually like shaking and kind of like like wobbling back and forth and it caused like this huge panic and like everybody like ran out of the building and there were people like running in the streets and stuff and all this crazy and like it's on video and it was just like this huge thing. Oh wow. And, I, I did um, not hear about this. Yeah. But but like skyscrapers are also supposed to be kind of designed to sort of like do that sometimes to to take like force from the wind and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's now this like kind of like tension happening because people are like, well, this seems unsafe, but then other people are saying it is, but like, we don't know. But anyway, yeah, I'll read more details about it. But um, the wobbling of a skyscraper in the Chinese city of Shenzhen was likely caused by a combination of winds, underground rail lines. I don't know why that's a factor and fluctuating temperatures. According to preliminary findings reported by local media, the near 300 meter high or 980 feet high SEG Plaza first began shaking on Tuesday afternoon, prompting an evacuation of people inside while pedestrians looked on in horror. Um, There was no earthquake in the area, and local authorities said engineers had not found any safety abnormalities in the building or surrounding environment, nor did the level of movement exceed building code limits. But the whole skyscraper was shaking. But it was enough to be like, hey, maybe we should get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Um... (laughs) Uh, Chinese media is saying that a preliminary investigation found that the wobbling was vertical rather than horizontal. Like, I don't know what that means, but, or how that could have happened, but was caused by (laughs) what they said, like light jumping, like rising temperature in the steel of the building, but, and also like the way that the wind was that day or something. Um, And also apparently the building does not have a tuned mass damper which is a huge pendulum-like device that prevents excessive swaying. Apparently that's a thing in skyscrapers. Never heard of that before. Yep, I do not know what that means. Um, but then other people were like, yeah, but it started wobbling again on Wednesday. But then now other people are saying, like, that's not true. And now there's, like, weird, like, conflicting reports. Um, and then building collapses are apparently not rare in China because they have lax building standards, according to this article. Um, and like, because like urbanization has happened really fast too. Like some construction has happened like pretty quickly that, that was like at the end note of this article. So now it's just this whole like yeah, that mess seem of like, great. especially when they were saying earlier that the, uh, the swaying was within building codes, but you said they have kind of lax building codes. So yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of not a great situation because like all the people that work in that building are like, I don't want to go back in the building. And then other people are like, it's not actually unsafe. Like this is why it other happened. Other people who don't work and in other the people building. who don't, exactly. Other people who don't work in the building are like, you can go back. It's fine. And so like, it's now like this huge mess. Um, but yeah, if you're interested, you can look up like the videos of it. You can't really, I personally could not tell that the skyscraper itself was like moving at all in the videos. Cause maybe that's just hard to see cause it was like subtle, whatever, yeah, it was but probably like probably 
for a structure that large, like even a little bit of movement is going to feel like a lot. I right. Imagine, like, right. When you get high up. So, but it was like people like running and the, like, there was like, it looked like there was like hundreds and hundreds of people just like running in the streets, like away from this thing. I was like, Whoa. Yeah. Ugh. But Ugh. that's scary. Yeah. So I'm hoping nothing actually bad happens. It's actually just like, Oh, it, this is actually how it was engineered to like take the force of certain stuff and move a little bit. Cause like, yeah. That is a thing in skyscraper design. Mm-hmm. Um, but normally I think you're not supposed to be able to like feel it that <laughs> right. when you're like, like in the building. The give is supposed to be like imperceptible or at least close right. to it. But That's I don't what know. I thought. I'm not a skyscraper. Skyscraperist? My first story is food news. This is from businessinsider.com, where I get all of my all of my food from Business Insider. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Burger King is finally launching its new chicken sandwich soon, and it comes with a free Whopper. So, oh. I didn't realize Burger King hadn't gotten in on this yet, um, like the chicken sandwich wars. Oh, yeah, like the, the new style chicken sandwich. But apparently they have, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so Burger King is releasing the new hand-breaded Chicken sandwich. Oh. It's C-H apostrophe king. It's the chicken. Chicken sandwich. Okay. Uh, On June 3rd, uh, the sandwich will come in two versions, chicken and spicy chicken. (laughs) I just like the name. Uh, With lettuce, tomato, pickles, and signature sauce on a potato bun. Uh, No word on what signature sauce is, but that's pretty typical, I think. Uh, Burger King says it has been testing the recipe for two years, which seems like a lot. Uh, also starting on June 3rd, a chicken sandwich ordered through Burger King's app or website will come with a free Whopper, which seems, that's kind of, I don't know, maybe make it like free fries or something. I don't need a, yeah, like, a second sandwich. You need a whole usually. second sandwich. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Order this and you get a free entree. <laughs> to go with your meal and it's like well get, i mean i guess if it's two you people, get a free burger people. when you wanted a chicken sandwich <laughs> yeah um so burger they're not King, selling enough whoppers apparently <laughs> yeah we got to get rid of all these whoppers <laughs> uh burger king may be uniquely positioned to grow in the chicken sandwich space because it is owned by restaurant brands international the parent company of popeyes oh what? i saw that get your attention because Popeye's Popeye's chicken sandwich is probably my favorite chicken sandwich. It's definitely my favorite chicken sandwich. Of anyone in the wars. Um, so Oh yeah, so what so I'm curious. Okay, if it's, if it's owned by the same company similarities couldn't or, it be the same sandwich? I'd be fine with that. They could just offer like the Popeye's chicken sandwich at Burger King, couldn't they? But it's the chicken. <laughs> so it has to be di- they could have done that. Mm. Why didn't they just do that? I don't know. But maybe it'll be similar? I don't know. I, it could be like a similar recipe or something. Hmm. But I don't know. It seems weird to me. Yeah, it is weird. Uh, other companies with recent entries into the chicken sandwich wars include KFC, Jimmy John's, which I did not realize, oh. uh, and McDonald's. And they also included Taco Bell uh, announcing the return of the naked chicken chalupa, which kind of counts, I guess. It's got breaded chicken on it um or i guess it is breaded it's the one that's chicken on the outside and taco stuff on the inside um i'm gonna look up the jimmy john's one okay while you're continuing because i'm really curious 
<laughs> yeah, I guess the, the only other thing I have to say oh. um, is that Burger King is also exploring the possibility for more chicken dishes in the future, which I don't, what else would you what a- possibly have? What? <laughs> they already <laughs> had some confusing, chicken. Like, it's a very confusing article to me for some yeah. reason. <laughs> it's probably because Burger King's branding is just confusing in general. That's true. I feel like it just tends to be like, what? Sorry if you're listening to this and you... Work for Burger, Burger King. King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in Burger King marketing, sorry to you. You know, funny story. So I, when I was like, I don't know, like pretty young, pretty young, I really, really liked the Burger King, original Burger King chicken sandwich that was like oval shaped. Mm-hmm. For some reason, like that was the first like fast food chicken sandwich I ever like really liked for some reason. And then huh. I expanded to other chicken sandwiches, but let's see. And I don't think I've yeah. ever actually had a chicken sandwich from Burger King. Just their burgers and their fries. They're pretty good. Yeah. Well, they were back then. I don't know what they are like now. I have not been there in a while. I think I've had it relatively recently because I think they ran a promotion where you could win a PS5. <laughs> 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 if you and you were trying every you, possible way. I was, yeah, yeah. That, was a, that was a dark period of my life. <laughs> I did get one, though, if anyone's wondering. <laughs> <laughs> we might have actually talked yeah. about it. I don't remember. Yeah, we probably did. Um, yeah. yeah. I did not win one from the Burger King. <laughs> yeah, but you were pretty diligent in trying to find a source for that, and you did find a source, so that's good. Yeah. yeah it was okay. Tough. So Jimmy John's adds one, adds one, added one, and is calling it the Kickin' Sandwich. The Kickin' Sandwich. That's pretty good. Kickin' Sandwich. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it just has like fried chicken in it. Is it on like a Jimmy John's sub bread? Yeah. Is it, oh. It's oh, like a, a large sandwich. It's a like a Jimmy John sub bread with um, looks like lettuce and pickles and tomatoes and this fried chicken on it. I okay. would try that. I would too because I I generally like Jimmy John's. So yeah, that sounds good. Okay, my next story is technology news. This is from academictimes.com. The headline is, plastic waste can now be turned into jet fuel in one hour. That seems pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty fast, pretty useful. Scientists have found a new way to convert the world's most popular plastic, polyethylene, into jet fuel and other liquid hydrocarbon products, introducing a new process that is more energy efficient than existing methods of recycling and takes only about one hour to complete, which is like super, super fast compared to other stuff. Okay. Yeah. I had no, I had no sense of scale for what fast recycling is. Yeah. That's good to know. Well, apparently like, I don't know if I wrote it down in my notes here, but the normal like process of breaking down plastic, cause they they have ways to do it, Mm -hmm. but it takes like a lot, like, I don't know, probably like 24 hours or something. Okay. And like, twice the amount of energy is this process something like that and you like, don't get jet fuel or do you get jet i don't fuel? know actually i don't know <laughs> if you get jet fuel out of it either yeah i'm not sure um so in a study published monday in chem catalysis catalysis it's like it's like the word catalyst but it's catalysis which i don't think is the right pronunciation catalysis catalysis cat Catalysis. Catalysis. That's see that none of this sounds right. Cata- I have no idea. How I'm, thinking of like, I'm thinking of catalytic, which is different. Catalysis. Catal- it's catal- catalysis or catalysis. 
I don't know. They all it all sounds wrong. It's all speculation. Okay. I'm not a chemist. Okay. Um in that journal, <laughs> researchers outlined this process which combined the transition metal ruthenium um utilized as a catalyst <laughs> with the commonly used solvent hexane to break down the polyethylene. I'm like, I don't know what half that means, but okay, great. Sounds perfect. Sounds like chemistry. Um the process proved highly efficient, converting up to 90% of the plastic into liquid fuel and lubricants. Um, with plastic pollution now constituting one of the world's most urgent environmental crises, researchers across the planet are developing innovative strategies to divert plastic bottles from landfills and oceans or convert them into more biodegradable, biodegradable materials. I know we've talked before about like research into like bacteria that can break down plastic mm-hmm. before which i know is like a whole field of research basically right now so and then those bacteria fill with jet fuel and just blast off yes the and they just go Poof. yeah <laughs> um the current way to chemically recycle plastic is is a process known as pyrolysis which uh it uses elevated temperatures to break down the material and convert it into it says fuel or new plastic products but i don't know what type of fuel i don't know what did not specify not jet fuel or maybe um, it is Jeff, you I don't know. But that process requires temperatures exceeding 400 degrees Celsius versus oh. a range of 200 to 220 degrees Celsius for this new process. Okay. So it's like half the heat energy required. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really, really, that's very hot. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit off the top of my head, but it's really hot. Um, <laughs> uh, and then also this new approach, they said that this could be applied to different types of plastics too, not just polyethylene. Um Although this first study was just, they were looking only at polyethylene, but apparently it could work for other types of plastic too, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, and the next project that this research team is going to work on is a similar process that can break down polymers, even if they are in like a mixed plastic waste situation, which is really useful because one of the big problems in recycling is that like stuff is all like mixed together and it has to be like sorted. Yeah. Um, So they're trying to kind of like tackle that issue too. All right. Which is cool. So, yeah. Yeah, we're going to fuel all the jets. We're going to fuel all the jets. We're going to recycle all the plastic, or 90% of it. And we're going to fix everything. And we're going to fix the world. (laughs) My next story is space news. This is from Ars Technica. Someone has bid more than $2 million for the first new shepherd seat. What is Um, that? (laughs) <laughs> i'm not gonna tell I you that, I, don't know, I don't know what that is and i don't think it costs two million no, I'm just kidding. yeah <laughs> you might you might change your mind okay. after you hear about it okay. or you might not actually because i don't i don't know i think it's too much um, <laughs> okay on wednesday morning blue origin unsealed the high bid for its auction of a space fight a space flight seat <laughs> not a space fight space fight very seat different sounds, very different sounds much more so blue exciting. origin is i think like the amazon Jeff Bezos, like space private space company. Oh, okay. and New Shepard is their sh- uh, their shuttle that goes up into space and then just I think comes back down. Oh, um, but it's okay. for it's specifically meant for like regular people as opposed to just astronauts to like yeah. go up into space and then come right back down. Um, so the bid of one point four million soon rose to two million dollars, and as of the writing of this article, it's at $2.4 million. Um, 
Like, so uh, apparently somebody really wants to get on this. Uh, so this is like when you said, <laughs> sorry, yeah. for the, a seat, it's like a spot on the first flight. A spot or on something? the first flight. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you're going to pay over $2 million to be a test subject. Um, mm-hmm. that, yeah. <laughs> We'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the auction is for one seat on the first plate. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's I'm okay. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I didn't realize it was so explicitly <laughs> yeah. exactly what we just said. The auction is for the is for one seat on the first plate of Blue Origin's <laughs> new Shepard launch system. Okay. Uh, this autonomous vehicle has six seats for passengers, uh, and the company's uh, the company plans to fly its first mission on July twentieth. That's so soon. I know. I think we've talked about this before because I remember us also thinking, that's too soon. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This rings a bell. So Blue Origin has not yet said who else will be flying on board this first mission. Uh, The unsealed online auction for the seat will continue until June 10th. I don't know what unsealed means. It's probably some term you know if you know what auctions are or know about (laughs) auctions. I know what an auction is. Anyway, uh, if, you're, on, if you're like a millionaire and you go to like millionaire auctions, maybe. Yeah. So that continues until June 10th. Yeah. Millionaire auctions. <laughs> that continues until June 10th. Then on June 12th, the company will hold a live online auction among verified bidders to finally sell the seat. Uh, so I, I, honest, I don't know how any of that works, but that's their problem. Okay. Um, the company said <laughs> the winning bid amount will be donated to Blue Origins Foundation Club for the Future which uh, their goal is to inspire future generations to pursue careers in STEM. Oh. Which, that seems nice. Nice. Um, so at least it's going to something good um, and not just directly into Jeff Bezos' pockets. Yeah. Uh, beyond this auction, Blue Origin has not released pricing for new Shepard flights, either for individual tickets or for an entire mission. However, a source uh, that they said was like a good source told Ars Technica... <laughs> I guess they trust this person uh, that the per seat flight uh, per seat price would be well north of $500,000 and much closer to $1 million for the first several flights, which doesn't really surprise me, but also why, why, why would you spend that much money, especially on something so new? I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I could not. Absolutely not. Couldn't do it. Money aside. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I couldn't no. do it. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't no. do it. I mean, yeah, less, I definitely couldn't do it less with that, anybody, that cost. Lest anybody thinks we have, we just have a couple million dollars just lying around no. between the two of us ready, no, we do ready to go on space flights. We do not, but also... But, yeah, yeah. that aside, um, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I just... No. The first one... No, absolutely. Is oh, gonna, definitely not the first one. The, not, I feel like it's like a 50-50 first, chance oh, of, like... Yeah. Not the it first crashes, several. like, oh my gosh. And then, yeah, and then after that one. Maybe in, like, 50 years when we've got, like, a lot of companies doing this and they've all been very successful. Even then, I'm not 100% sure I'd want to because what are you getting out of that? I mean, I think it's probably an amazing view Yeah, from up there. I guess. I don't know. Have but... somebody else go up there and take a picture. <laughs> Because that's all it's going to feel like. You're not really, like, out experiencing yeah. anything. You're just, like, I don't know. You could very easily, I feel like, replicate this in a simulator. That That is actually a really valid point. Like, in 50, okay, not even in 50, in 10 years from now, the VR technology mm-hmm. is going to be so good. It's already good Plus enough to Plus anti-gravity technology. Is that, all, is that also a thing? We'll probably have that. Okay. <laughs> but, like, yeah, you could totally have a 
very realistic VR experience, probably with film from one of these ships, mm-hmm. like used to make the thing that you would, it would just be just oh, like if you did it. Yeah. Or close enough that I don't need to pay $500,000 for a ticket. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Right. Yeah. I don't know. If it was like you actually were going to the space station and you were like vacationing on the space station, yeah. like that one show where they're like on a space cruise, <laughs> maybe if that was a thing. Maybe. I still wouldn't do I'd it. I still wouldn't actually, do it. Actually, but yeah. no, 100% <laughs> but I would at least would not do it. It I, I was I paused and considered it for like a few seconds, which is more than you did for this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My next story is random local news. This is from usatoday.com. And the headline is, Park officials had no idea what this mysterious blob was after discovering it off the North Carolina coast. But they did figure it out. They did. I'm going to show you the picture first before you know what it is. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like that. Can I guess? Yeah. Oh, my. No, no. (laughs) Looks like a bunch of plastic gloves all, like, tied together. (laughs) Yeah, that that was something... They actually posted this on Facebook and asked the internet, like, "What does anybody know what this is? And That's that was a horrifying. common guess. That's not the answer, though. Yeah. Yeah, it does kind of look like a bunch of plastic gloves with, like, something in them. Yeah. So park officials from Cape Lookout National Seashore recently shared a photo of a mysterious mass found on the North Carolina coast asking if anyone knew what the thing was. This is a quote from their post. So far, it has escaped being identified, although it might be something like an egg sac of a squid, but we aren't sure. Anyone want to take a stab at identifying this for us? Other than the popular suggestion that it was some sort of alien, some people guessed that it was... Of course. <laughs> um, or, or were saying that it was squid egg sacs, and apparently they did confirm that that is what it is. Mm. Um, but they don't know exactly what type of squid this came from. Um, I guess USA Today... Uh, interviewed this squid expert from California named... That's such a cool title. Lu- <laughs> squid expert. I would love to be a squid expert. We have to add that to our list of cool titles. Yeah. Um, his name is Louis Ziedberg. It's okay. funny because I was reading his name and I kept thinking Zoidberg, like that character <laughs> from uh, Futurama. No, but he's a, he's a crustacean, so... Yeah, he's not a squid, but yeah. kind of almost closely related, so I don't That's know. That's true. Um... So he's from California, and apparently, according to him, similar egg sacs have been seen in Oregon um, that come from the California market squid. And so potentially this might be like an Atlantic Ocean species, like related to that species. Hmm. And apparently uh, the female squids will like deposit eggs on a sandy habitat or like a sand mound sometimes and i guess like rarely they end up they can end up like washing up on a beach i guess so they're pretty sure that's what it is but they they don't know what species it came from or anything like and it's a rare thing i guess yeah so squid eggs who would have thought yeah yeah and it's i'm like we rarely see squids i think seeing their eggs is probably even even more rare yeah so that's why no one knew what it was. <laughs> like the park people were like, um. Uh, gloves. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? They like opened it up to the internet. They're like, we, let, let's just use the power of the internet. It's a pretty it's good, good. It's a pretty good option. Yeah. My next story is animal news. Meow. 
This is from Vice.com. Scientists shot tardigrades from a gun to see if interplanetary travel is survivable. <gasps> okay, I'm so excited about this. I know you love How tardigrades. I, I love tardigrades. Do I love them or am I just fascinated by them? I Maybe know. both. Yeah. I don't know. One of the I don't two, know. at least. They shot them into space? No, 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 no. They did shoot them out of a gun, oh. but not into space. <laughs> I thought in my mind I was thinking they shot them into space. No, okay. what they... All right, I'll let you yeah. explain. I'll let you um, explain. So tardi- yeah, okay. I was going <laughs> to try to do one of my summaries that ends up being exactly what I wrote in my notes, so I'm just going to re- read my notes. Tar- tardigrades are one of nature's most indestructible life forms. These microsco- microscopic animals can survive both freezing and boiling temperatures, pressures equivalent to those six miles under the ocean, and even the vacuum of outer space. We've talked about all this before when we've talked about tardigrades. Mm-hmm. But there's a nice little summary for our listeners who uh, don't remember. For decades, scientists have speculated about the possibility that hardy organisms like the tardigrade might be able to survive trips between planets by hitchhiking on meteorites. With this in mind, Alejandra Trapas and Mark Birchall, a PhD student and professor of space science at the University of Kent, respectively, sought to determine whether spacefaring tardigrades would be able to withstand the sudden impact of arrival at an alien world. Uh, in a study published this month in the journal Astrobiology, this, the researchers point out that there is no knowledge of how tardigrades survive impact shocks, and so accordingly, we have fired tardigrades at high speed in a gun onto sand targets, subjecting them to impact shocks and evaluating their survival, which sounds pretty dark, I realize now. Um, but yeah, so they wanted to see basically like if one of these was on a meteorite and that meteorite collided with a planet, would the tardigrades yeah. survived that impact. Um, the results were a surprise in that the tardigrades seemed to recover from impacts right up to speeds which started to physically tear them to, into pieces. Um, but that's also kind of misleading because it wasn't... They got them... They survived very high speed, very hard impacts, but not all of the speeds and also not speeds that would compare to a meteorite crashing into a planet. So they don't think oh. this would be possible. Oh, um, Okay. But, I mean, they still survived some insane, <laughs> some insane impacts. Uh, so the researchers used a special type of scientific equipment called a two-stage light gas gun to fire out their tardigrade-laced projectiles. The gun uses uh, gunpowder and compressed hydrogen gas to reach speeds high enough to test, uh, for example, the effects of space debris slamming into satellite shielding. So NASA uses something similar to, like, test high impacts. Okay. Um, the researchers fired a total of six shots, each containing a few tardigrades, at speeds ranging from about 1,240 to 2,230 miles per hour, which is a lot, um, wow. which is faster than a bullet exiting a traditional firearm. Uh, the animals impacted the sand target at shock pressures ranging from 0.61 to 1.31 gigapascals, which is also a lot. Um, Amazingly, wow. tardigrades in four out of the six shots survived the high speed and shock pressure of the impact. So they literally fired them out of a gun at, like, a sand surface, and they lived. Um, that doesn't even surprise me at all. Yeah, I know. That actually... I was <laughs> so, kind of surprised. I was, I was surprised honestly, they died in any of the scenarios. Right. That, that was the thing for me. Is like, I was surprised that they died in any of these. Yeah. Um, 
So the results indicate that the upper limit of impact speeds the tardigrades can survive hovers somewhere around 1,845 miles per hour, which is insane. (laughs) That's so fast. As the tardigrades that were shot at the two highest speeds, which was approximately 2,000 and 2,230 miles per hour, did not live. Um, They also pointed out that the ones that were shot at these high speeds took a longer amount of time to recover than a control group. Um that hadn't been shot out of this. Um, Hmm. But they put them all into like that stasis state they can go into um, by, by like freezing them or something ahead of time. So they had like a control group that was only frozen, um, but not shot out of a gun. And that group recovered from that frozen state faster. Um, Oh, okay. So the impact clearly affected them in some way. Okay. Um, so most meteorites exchanged between planets impact at higher shock pressures than the maximums probed by the experiment, suggesting that the arrival of a tardigrade on Earth, for example, by way of a meteorite impact, is not likely to be a viable means of a successful transfer, even for such hardy organisms. So probably not. They didn't arrive by meteorites. I'm dubious. <laughs> but they, they also taught... This article is much longer. Um, believe mm. it or not, that was a summary. But they... <laughs> Uh, also talked a little bit about like other ways that they could have traveled through space, like just literally floating between yeah. adjacent bodies, um, because as we know, they can survive just being in space, right? <laughs> because they're insane. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't gonna not cover an article about tardigrades being shot out of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a good find. That yeah. is perfect for this podcast. Yes, that is that is. That's our. That's pretty much our our main kind of story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shooting, yes, shooting much. tardigrades out of guns. Yes, that if is. Could, if we could summarize, so up our alley. They're just so resilient and amazing yeah. creatures. I, I, I want to find out like how can we create technology from their ability to like survive everything. What it, it from the description too? It it almost sounded like the only reason that they did die is because, like, the force of impact actually, like, tore their bodies apart. If they were, like, resilient enough, I feel like the impact probably, like, they probably would have still survived. Like, it wouldn't have destroyed their brain or whatever, like, organs that they need to live. It would have, like, which is crazy, because, like, I for, like, a person, even if we had, like, that exoskeleton and, like, were yeah. fired into a planet, like... That would mess us up irreparably, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like they, it seems like they don't suffer from like blunt force trauma. <laughs> yes, exactly. They suffer from when their bodies are torn to shreds, which we do too. So, yeah. We have that in common. Most living things <laughs> have that weakness. Yeah. So, they're not all. <laughs> but not, not all, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, there's quite a few that can lose <laughs> limbs and be just fine. So. That is also true. Wow. Yeah. Life is strange. Okay. Life is strange. <laughs> On that note, um, it is time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Ching! Ready, set, go! go! Okay, so I found this on sciencealert.com, and it's some health news. Um, The headline is, the first clinical trial for cannabis as a migraine treatment is currently underway, which is kind of cool and exciting. Um, So this article is a little bit long, so I'm not going to, like, read the whole thing. But basically, it just talks about how, like, anecdotally, that has been 
something that has been reported to really help with migraines. And um, people that suffer from chronic migraines, well, A, it's a really, really common problem, but also like the current like medications that exist for it, like some of them don't really work for everybody. Like there's some, you know, there's still room, I guess, in that space for more treatments for different people because just like the medications that are out there just don't always work all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of them actually will like stop working over time, I guess. Like it it might work for you for a while, but then your body gets used to it or something and it like stops working. Okay. Um, So this trial is happening where they're actually going to test and see like if CBD and actually, and also THC like, or even a combo of both are actually good um, or can be used as like medication for, for migraines. That's exciting. Um, I feel yeah. like there's, prob- there's probably so many uses for um, marijuana and even like other drugs that we just don't realize because <laughs> like, honestly, because people aren't allowed to like run yeah. do research with that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and this was talking about how, like, yeah, it's been, you know, for literally decades, th- this hasn't been allowed. Like people couldn't just do research with, like this, but mm-hmm. they can now. So they're doing it good yeah <laughs> and we're gonna see I mean, um, like you said there's a lot of anecdotal level evidence yeah that it's very effective at treating things like that yes exactly and it, they even mentioned that there's like evidence of like people in ancient greece using this for like headache oh. relief and stuff like like ancient peoples like <laughs> using <laughs> cannabis as a treatment um sometimes for, like, they were onto something things and it's like sometimes wow, they really okay. really weren't but sometimes they were yeah some, <laughs> sometimes they were real off yeah. <laughs> sometimes they were on the right track so yeah i think this is exciting i think this is this is great i mean if something can be used to help people like a super common and sometimes debilitating issue like yeah mm-hmm. i would want that to, like i'm all for making that available to people so yeah i think that's great right, i found this on engadget Microsoft will truly finally kill off Internet Explorer in June 2022. Wait. (laughs) They're finally giving up on it? In June 2022. Oh, my gosh. Microsoft has announced they will retire Internet Explorer 11 on June 15th, 2022, on most versions of Windows 10. Um, Am I justified in my level of mirth? Am I justified in my... Oh, absolutely. Okay. (laughs) I just wanted to know. Okay. I mean, yeah, as somebody who act like my job is developing web applications and one of the browsers we have to support is Internet Explorer 11 because this is a fun fact. A lot of like a lot of corporations and hospitals and places still use it because it's just what they're most familiar with, even though it is a security and like modern browser nicety nightmare. I truly don't understand why so many places still use it. Well, part of it is that there's some applications that were developed specifically for it and don't work on newer browsers. Oh. And a lot of places are still stuck on those things. But Gotcha. Um, hmm. Yeah, they said the move won't affect uh, the Windows 10 long-term servicing channel, which is used for devices that stay the same over time, such as MRI machines and air traffic control systems, but I really hope. Oh, gosh, I don't want to Wait, even think about air traffic control? F- yeah, I was going to say, I don't even want to think about the fact that those might be using oh. IE 11, but... Um, yeah, since the introduction of Edge in 2015, Microsoft has been slowly winding down the old browser. It added support for previous versions in 2016, and Microsoft 365 and other apps will stop supporting IE 11 on August 17th of uh, 2022. So, or that actually might be August 17th of this year, which would be cool. Mm. Uh, that their own stuff is no longer going to be supporting it. That's a pretty big uh, 
pretty big, pretty good sign for uh, yeah for the fact that they're serious about ending this. Um, Microsoft has urged users who are still clinging <laughs> to IE 11 to move to Edge or another browser before it ends support next June. Edge has a built-in Internet Explorer mode for websites that still need IE. Uh, Internet Explorer, so you could have oh. all the niceties of a modern browser, and not and like still use your old weird apps. So it, that's is so is Edge just its own separate browser? Yeah, Edge is its own browser, Windows? but it's also the new the newer versions of Edge are based off of the same backend as Chrome. Actually, oh, it's known as Chromium. Um, it's like this open source uh, web browser technology. Okay, so. Like Google Chrome and Microsoft Edge are basically two flavors of the same thing. You'll notice oh. a lot of similarities between them if you if you look at the newest Edge, hmm. which is actually it's it's a decent browser. Like okay, <laughs> I don't mind supporting that one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't used that at all. So, but yeah, I was wondering. so Microsoft says it will support Edge's Internet Explorer mode until at least the end of 2029. Okay, so people, so people have want time still, to get off yeah. of those apps, but they need to get off of them because. It is the it's the only only browser that people still use that just doesn't support like any modern web technology, and it's so frustrating because you have to like. How do you even build anything for it? There's nowadays? this con- This is probably getting too deep in the weeds, but there's this That's concept okay. <laughs> of something called a polyfill, which is basically a piece of code that replicates uh, newer like um, like newer code in code that Internet Explorer understands. Oh. And it like dynamically uses that instead of the newer thing if it detects that it's on a browser that doesn't support the newer thing. Oh, um, so it's like smart. So that's how we like... get around it okay. in a lot of situations where it's like I want to use this extremely basic function <laughs> <laughs> that Internet Explorer does not support for some reason. <laughs> oh. And then we'll yeah, if you can find a polyfill for it, you're golden. But there's still some things that even that isn't sufficient for, and then you just have to find a, some other workaround, and it's wow, it's a real nightmare. Yeah, that you almost really end genius. up having to like maintain two, like like two whole two separate things, of, right? Yeah, and it's just another thing we have to test and support, and we always that's always where we find the most bugs. And I'm talking about this way too much, but. <laughs> I just no, I'm, it's good. I'm excited to see Internet Explorer go down. I just, yeah, I'm not as emotionally invested. I just never use it because I, it's anytime a bad I've ever browser. anytime I've ever clicked it open, I'm just like, no. It's slow. <laughs> it's buggy. It's a security nightmare. Like it is yeah. not a good browser. If you are using it and you listen to this, please, please, please <laughs> try switch off anything of else. Any other browser. <laughs> what about Safari? Even Edge. What about Safari? Safari is okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's it's got some things that it doesn't support as well as other modern browsers, but it's it's fine. It works okay. most of the time. Okay. <laughs> Unlike Internet Explorer, which doesn't, doesn't work, work most of doesn't the time. Doesn't work most of the time. Ah. Sorry, Microsoft. It's okay. They've got Edge, and I think Edge is yeah. fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even they're so being like, edge. even they're edge. like, we don't want you to use this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop using this. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knickknacknews, on Twitter at at knickknacknews, and on Instagram at knickknacknews. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.